Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are sort of picking up some of the loose ends from last week's episode uh, where we covered the intertestamental period between, of course, the Old Testament and the New, New, the New Testament. And so as promised today, as you can see, we are going to be having a more focused conversation about a particular event within that intertestamental period uh, that was known as really the Maccabean Revolt, and then it led to the beginnings or the origins of the Hanukkah story. Uh, And so today we're jumping in and trying to help all of our listeners understand a little bit more what this celebration is, what its origins are, and how it actually uh, is something worth considering for ourselves. I'm not going to be going on the record and saying everybody needs (laughs) to start celebrating Hanukkah, but I think as we'll see, it's really something that's worth commemorating and Mm -hmm. worth reflecting on. And I think it actually helps us to really grasp the New Testament context a lot more. Uh, I I think even for myself and studying for these episodes the last couple of weeks, um, just sort of brushing up my memory on on this period of time between the Testaments has really added in a lot of color to the New Testament context. Uh, One thing, for example, that has really stood out to me at least has been the the fact of... um, Antiochus IV Epiphanes coming into the temple in Jerusalem and sacrificing a pig to Zeus, Hmm. basically intentionally desecrating the temple, restricting the Jews of no longer being able to observe the Sabbath, uh, enforcing mass circumcision. no circumcision. They were not allowed to circumcise uh, their children. And one of the ways, of course, in which they would, they would know whether this was happening as I've come to discover was through the creation of gymnasiums throughout Israel. And so in gymnasiums, men traditionally would exercise in the nude together. Mm. Um, And so they would be able to know who was circumcised and who was not. And so all these fascinating (laughs) things, but the fact of the... And that's why circumcision is commented on so much in the New Testament. It's a big deal, obviously, in Romans and Galatians. And some people would read that and wonder, uh, how would anybody even know? Well, it was more common, certainly in that day, to... For for men to be seen naked, which is kind of a weird thing, I guess, to talk about, but that, that's the ancient... Yeah, um, great start to the episode here. <laughs> the ancient culture, that's very different than, and than uh, certainly our American context. So all of this then colors in a lot of the sort of Jews and Gentile antipathy towards one another. And it wasn't just that Jews saw Gentiles as unclean. They, they had a history with them. They, they, they had been wronged. They had been uh, intentionally um, desecrated by, by the Gentiles around them who had come in and done these, these things that to them were, of course, extremely blasphemous and wicked and evil. And, of course, they were, we would say, as Christians. And so 
that just for me has helped me understand how difficult it would have been for Jews in the first century to allow for Gentiles to come into the church. Hmm. Uh, so I can understand a little bit more passages, for example, uh, like the beginning opening chapters of Romans, where there's a lot of discussion about Jews and Gentiles, and then if especially Ephesians chapter 2 and what the blood of Christ does and breaking down the, the walls of division between the two groups. Uh, and so today we're going to be of course, talking about this celebration of Hanukkah, what it is, where it came from. Maybe we open with the lines here of Adam Sandler, ah. <laughs> put yes. on your yarmulke, it's time for <laughs> Hanukkah. Uh, it's time to, to think about this this fun celebration. Yeah. One of fun the maybe isn't the right word, I should well, say. Well, it, it should be fun. <laughs> it's according to Adam Sandler, it's eight crazy nights, right? And so, um, no, it's... Yeah, he's I, our authority. I, on this. Yeah. yeah, that's what we've been researching with. Um, no, I, <laughs> I, uh, I did listen to the Hanukkah song in preparation. I must divulge that information, I guess, just to, <laughs> to remember what it actually was. Anyways, um, I think that sometimes Christians can be a bit combative and protective of Christmas. And so um, there are lots of different traditions that are vying for attention at this time of year, um, even made up holidays, made up um, occasions that, that are really trying to replace Christmas because people, many people yeah. are secularizing and losing um, interest in Christianity. This is true in Europe and North America uh, in those contexts. And so because that is a reality in some cases, like, for example, winter solstice becoming kind of a little bit more popular now among kind of neo-pagan <laughs> type people, yeah, new age, um, new agey, um, sort of cultish, uh, spiritist, mm -hmm. um, interested people. Um, and then you have something like Kwanzaa, which, be, which has basically been created yeah. um, in, in recent decades. Um, and so people kind of lump each of them together. If it's not Christmas and celebrating the birth of the baby Jesus, it's a threat to mm -hmm. our celebration of Christmas. And, and that's kind of how I had thought of Hanukkah, to be quite honest, for a long time, where that's like the Jewish alternative to Christmas. And it does happen around the same time as Christmas, and mm -hmm. so it can seem that way. But it, its celebration, as we'll be reminded of in the episode today, predates Christ and actually has a lot to teach the believer in Yahweh, the believer in the Lord, hmm. that God provides in amazing ways, that God is a supernatural and active God in the world. Yeah. And um, the story behind Hanukkah, I think, can be treasured by Christians, and we can, uh, we don't have to see it, I guess, as the threat, kind of, that hmm. that it is now, uh, or that, that some people perceive it to be. Now, do okay, I wish all people would celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, including Jewish people? Yes, absolutely, I do. Hmm. Um, but I, I would also suggest that we can appreciate Hanukkah uh, instead of thinking of it as a kind of competitor this time of year. Yeah, uh, it's one thing to say that Hanukkah precedes the coming of Christ. And so it's not that it was created after yeah. the event right. and it was put in place to sort of uh, give the Jewish people something to celebrate and as an alternative to Christ Christmas, uh, it precedes it. And in fact, we see Hanukkah being celebrated in the scriptures, uh, which we'll get to mm -hmm. in just a second. But I, I want to start with just sort of saying, well, what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah, if you don't know, is an eight-day celebration 
and the eight days of Hanukkah. It's also known as the Feast of Dedication. Uh, sometimes it's called the Festival of Lights, and that's because of the menorah. Now, you've probably seen the menorah, which is a candelabra, uh, which has these, I believe, eight um, different, uh, I don't know, fingers, you might say. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the proper word, um, but... The idea for Arms. that is yeah. that when yeah. the temple was cleansed uh, by the Maccabees, which is recorded for us, of course, in the book of First Maccabees and Second, but mostly First, uh, they found in the temple only enough oil to light the menorah for what they thought would be about one day. But it turned out that this oil miraculously, they said, uh, lasted for eight days, hence the eight days of, of Hanukkah. And so it has to do with the cleansing of the temple or the dedication of the temple because they rededicated the temple, which had been, uh, which had been desecrated by uh, Antiochus IV uh, Epiphanes when he sacrificed a pig to Zeus, as I mentioned earlier. And so... There had been pagan worship set up. There had been idols put into the temple. And for the religious and devout Jews, not so much for the Hellenized Jews, but for the devout Jews, this was means for a revolt. And so uh, this revolt took place between 167 and 160 B.C., led by a family that we now know as the Maccabees or, more technically, uh, the Hasmonean family, mm. uh, starting with Mattathias, who was a high priest in in. Israel uh, and his sons who followed after him and carried on the legacy of this revolt. Uh, he died and didn't see the revolt uh, finish, um, but it really came to its conclusion uh, when I believe it was Judas Maccabeus, uh, he essentially destroyed the citadel that had been set up outside of Jerusalem's uh, city gates and that, was, that citadel was used by foreign foreign army to basically keep their thumb of oppression on Jerusalem. And so when that citadel was finally taken and captured, they the, the Jewish troops were able to march on Jerusalem, cleanse the temple, and reinstitute uh, the religion of the Old Testament. And so this was a time of great celebration and of great joy for the Jews in Israel and because they were now no longer under the thumb of a foreign army, a foreign ruler. They had become an independent nation. Within a few years, they start minting their own coins, uh, and that sort of is a sign of their independence. Uh, and so that's the basic gist of the story of Hanukkah. Yeah, people would be really well served to, to know that Hanukkah is related to that Maccabean revolt. Um, and again, um, the dates are 167 to 160 BC. So um, 160 years before Jesus was born, um, which sounds like a long time in our, in our <laughs> very temporary and, and uh, forgetful society today, but yeah. that's a very short time actually in the ancient world. Um, this would have been even more a hundred years after Alexander the Great would have kind of stormed through the area mm. and and so it was recent in the cultural sense um, yeah. for the Jewish people and and so they they created this this really neat tradition of lighting the menorah um, 
eight eight candles uh, that they would light. I think the menorah has nine arms, um, and, and an yes. odd number because there's one in the middle. Um, yeah. And so then they would they would light these candles, and and there's a cool little reading that that some Jews do when they light them, and th that's I'll, I'll read it. It's uh, the traditional reading of the Ashkenazi Jews um, when they are lighting the candles. They say, as they're lighting them, we kindle these lights for the miracles and the wonders, for the redemption and the battles that you made for our forefathers in those days at this season through your holy priests. During all eight days of Hanukkah, these lights are sacred, and we are not permitted to make ordinary use of them except for to look at them in order to express thanks and praise to your great name your, for your miracles, your wonders, and your salvations. So um, again, that's referring particularly to the, the miracle of the, the oil in the temple, but also some of the military battles, one could say, while not quite being the, the miracles of Joshua in the Old Testament where the sun didn't mm -hmm. set, um, they were amazing military victories that a small Jewish force was yeah. able to achieve against a, a, a well-equipped professional army from the Seleucid family. So um, in a similar kind of way, actually, to what happened in Israel in the 1960s and 70s and in, in, um, in the, the previous decade where nations were sort of rising up against Israel and the Lord providing um, some pretty amazing military victories for them so that uh, his people might remain. So uh, that's that's the the core of the meaning of of Hanukkah. As these candles are lit, they they remind their children that the Lord has given them um, amazing victories and and has provided for for their needs and been faithful to His covenant. Yeah. Speaking of these victories in battle, there's a really interesting video that. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark actually shared with me that I think is worth mentioning for anyone who's interested in learning a little bit more. It's on YouTube. It's done by this channel called Kings and Generals. I'd never heard of it, but it's basically a history channel that that gives uh, a history of different infamous or famous battles that have taken place, important battles that have taken place over the course of history. And this video itself is called Origins of Hanukkah, Maccabean Anti-Hellenic Rebellion Documentary. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a long title, but it's actually really interesting and tells you a lot more of the background and how these battles took place and what was really going on uh, in the time and place of, of all of this with the Maccabean Revolt. Yeah, and you're going to go down the rabbit hole if you end up watching that uh, that video. I love Kings and Generals, and it's what the History Channel used to be, is what I often tell people before it got all obsessed with pawn shops and ice road yeah. truckers and things that have nothing to do with history. Um, so if you remember the glory days of the History Channel, uh, check out Kings and Generals' YouTube channel. Each one's about 20 or 22, 25 minutes, and um, awesome videos also on the Napoleonic Wars and um, 30 years war, uh, 100 years war. If you want to learn more about the social, political context behind those big events, uh, this is a little commercial, I guess, for kings and generals. But <laughs> I know but, we should be getting some proceeds here. Yeah, exactly. A little kickback. It's it's a really cool way to learn. And so, like, I know, uh, I would guess. Um, well, I know of some listeners who do homeschool, and so hmm. if you're homeschooling your kids uh, and you want to learn, teach them about Hanukkah or the Maccabean Revolt, that video is solid gold. It's yeah. a very well well done, well animated, and um, well researched too. Yeah, it's really interesting. But a little bit more focused on the military side of things, but still does a good job at the 
socio-political matters surrounding the revolt. So uh, one other thing that people might find a little bit interesting during Hanukkah is the explanation of the dreidel. Um, many Gentiles such as ourselves would be at least aware of what a dreidel is. I'm pretty sure Target sells them, you know, this time of year. Uh, I think they've been in those bargain bins at the front selling little wooden dreidels that you could buy. Um, and so people would see that and they would see there's a Hebrew letter on each of the four sides of the top. And they would say, well, what's that all about? Um, it, uh, it's actually a really cool little game that was meant to teach children the story of Hanukkah, particularly how God provided the oil that lasted in the temple for eight days. And so um, just as I said, there's a Hebrew letter on each of the four sides. And that Hebrew letter um, is the first letter in, in a different word in each case. Um, it's, uh, it's an anacronym for the words, great miracle happened there. And so um, that's a reference to uh, the, the miracle that God did in the temple. And so hmm. whenever it lands on, um, for example, the, the letter that's like our letter N, that's Nez, that refers to the word great. And then whenever it lands on the letter that is the Gimel, um, our letter G, they would think miracle because that's the first letter in the Hebrew word for miracle. And so as the, the, the top spins each time, they're just remembering again and again, a great miracle happened in Israel. And one little trivia that I think is, is really interesting. Yeah, this was fascinating. Um, is that if you buy a dreidel in in Israel, it's different than any dreidel that you would buy anywhere else in the world because um, the letters are different. They would say a great miracle happened here instead of a great miracle happened there. And so um, if one were to buy a uh, a dreidel on a trip to Israel, you're going to get different letters on your dreidel than you would in, um, you know, buying one in America. So a cool little trivia to, to help people understand a little bit of what's happening. It's a fun little game. It's a very purposeful game. I think it is maybe kind of a challenge to Christians to come up with creative ways to teach children, um, not just uh, the the funner things of yeah. of Christmas, but uh, even explaining to our kids why we put lights on our tree, and that reminds us of Christ's light that He shines in the darkness. Just being more proactive in in teaching children what this is about. Why do we give gifts to one another? Well, yeah. it's because Christ is the greatest gift to us, and because we're called to be generous to other people in our lives, like Saint Nicholas was towards the poor in his day. So. Yeah. Um, I think each of these little Hanukkah traditions are are challenging me to be more um, more thoughtful and more active and creative in hmm. explaining things to my kids about Christmas and symbols. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and thinking about all of this, it just occurred to me, I wonder if there's any connection. Maybe I'll have to do some more homework now. If there's any connection between lighting the Hanukkah and lighting Advent candles, hmm. uh, I wonder if Christians who developed that tradition. I don't know when that tradition began uh, or in any way drawing upon the tradition of the menorah. I have no idea, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Blooding yeah. uh, a candle is always kind of representative, represented thoughtfulness. Yeah. And so like you would, it's very common in Europe today to light a candle for a loved one mm -hmm. who has just passed away. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I would guess that it has something to do with that, too. There's the, the physical activity of lighting a candle and thinking in your mind, why am I doing this? What yeah. does this light represent? Maybe the light of life, the light of somebody else's life, or 
um, sort of a light in the darkness that we wait for. Yeah, that's a really interesting connection too. I think there's lots of uh, biblical themes that are kind of woven between Hanukkah and uh, the story recorded in the Maccabees that are with so, sort of find their echo in the scriptures. Uh, it's really interesting uh, to see those kinds of connections. And one of those is, of course, is light. They light these these candles, and that becomes sort of the pinnacle moment for the rededication of the temple. Uh, and it sort of represents light coming into darkness. The temple had been desecrated. It had been vandalized. Uh, and so now they were bringing the light of God back into it. And that's what we also celebrate in the time of Advent and Christmas, the coming of the light. And there's the star over the manger. Mm -hmm. And that represents the light of Christ and other things, I think. But it represents God's light shining in, in a dark place. It happens at night, which is really interesting. And all of these sort of images and symbols are woven together to sort of make this beautiful tapestry of a story. Mm -hmm. And we see, of course, as I said earlier, there's, there's connections also to the scriptures themselves, actually very clear connections uh, to the Feast of Hanukkah. One of those connections comes to us in John chapter 10, where interestingly, we find that Jesus... Uh, in some ways is practicing the, the Feast of Dedication and the, the Hanukkah Feast. So in John chapter 10, this is uh, the story the uh, where we Calvinists, we really love John chapter 10 because mm -hmm. this is where we see Jesus talking about how we will never be snatched out of the Father's hand, that he all that the Father has given him, he holds on to. And so we draw great comfort from this. This is where we largely draw one of the, 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 the deep wells of our doctrine of the, the perseverance of the saints. Uh, Jesus, uh, we, we see at the, at the beginning of this passage in John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, it says this, at, the, at that time, the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and this is when it always takes place, sometime usually in the month of December. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so he's sort of inside the temple. He wasn't outdoors, probably because it was cold. It was winter, it says. And so he's inside the temple, and it's, he's here at the temple during this feast of dedication, the, the Hanukkah feast, where they are celebrating the cleansing of the temple. Uh, a few chapters later in John's gospel, chapter 12, uh, we see more connections here. And this comes through what we know today as the triumphal entry, uh, when we celebrate this on Palm Sunday, Christ coming into Jerusalem. And and there's connections here between, between this event and what happens in the Maccabean Revolt. And so I'll read John 12, verses 12 through 15. We read this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, which is from Zechariah, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This has connections to the story of Judas Maccabeus cleansing uh, uh, Jerusalem and the temple there and the citadel, which was built to protect Jerusalem against a 
the Jews retaking their city. Mm-hmm. So they they fight back, they take the, the citadel, and then they march in on Jerusalem. And so we read in 1 Maccabees 13, verse 51, On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, and with hymns and songs. Makes us think of uh, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That's sort of like a hymn and a song. It says, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. That's why they were doing this. The enemy had been been booted out of Israel. So (laughs) they, they came and they cleansed the citadel. They cleansed the temple. And similarly, Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple we see in the Gospels. Uh, he accuses them of being a den of thieves, these money changers. And so he, he boots them out of the temple. Uh, and Judas, we see in First in Maccabees, Judas Maccabeus removes the Greeks, but Jesus, however, differently welcomes them in. The temple, we're told in, in the Gospel of Mark, is a house of prayer for all the nations, which is exactly what Zechariah in that passage, that which John quotes, was referring to, uh, that all the nations would come in, and that all the nations would, would worship the God of Israel. And that's what really begins to happen under Christ. Yeah, and, and what a radical difference from the typical way a Jewish person thought of the nations at that time. And oh, so yeah. uh, that's a great insight that you share, because... Um, s- we think today, yeah, so it, it's great that the nations would be brought into the temple and Jesus would come and um, he, he was a light to the nations and, and salvation for the Gentiles. And, and that's good news for us. But in this context where the Gentiles, the nations were a huge threat and mm-hmm. a, a pain for the Jewish people, it's amazing that, that Jesus comes in to, to bring the nations into the temple. Um, hmm. what, a, what a contrast to the expulsion of the nations from the temple, Mm -hmm. which the Maccabees were, I would say, rightfully trying to accomplish so that they could continue worshiping in the temple in a pure way. Um, Jesus comes to to sort of reverse that in a way. Um, Pentecost Mm -hmm. also certainly does this of of bringing the nations together um, in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So um, yeah. Just as Zach said earlier, we've been having a lot of fun studying Hanukkah in the intertestamental period, um, just to see all these connections and um, scriptural insights that that we can gain. Um, something as simple as what Zach just quoted there of Jesus coming to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. Um, Hanukkah means dedication, and so it's mm-hmm. saying there that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Um, now. There's a lot of modern ways of celebrating Hanukkah that are very different, I'm sure, than what Jesus would have done. But it's cool yeah. just to think of um, of Jesus in his Jewish identity, um, celebrating Jewish festivals, having fun, um, giving presents, um, spinning a dreidel, you know, all, all of those yeah, things as a knows? child. Um, I, I don't know if all of that existed right away, but um, it, to me it puts a, a very... Um, rightfully, a human face uh, on Jesus that hmm. he, he celebrated. He, he went to uh, the party. He came to uh, Jerusalem to be a part of the festival and, and uh, observe these, um, these traditions. And so um, I think this, this information about Hanukkah hopefully will, will help you also recall that, that Jesus was a Jewish person who hmm. um, celebrated what God had done in generations past, and I also think that it, it gives permission to to us today to um, to celebrate um, mm-hmm. and and to enjoy a, a season. I know that 
um, sometimes the more stoic reformed folks um, are, are not as comfortable with celebration of Advent or celebration of yeah. um, the Christmas season because um, they do see those threats there, threats of consumerism and mm -hmm. of in individualism and of kind of getting distracted from the meaning. But I, I don't think that that should ruin our our fun, our um, celebration, our like uh, even tonight the youth group having a progressive <laughs> dinner that's uh, that they're celebrating, yeah. and and it's fun to get together at this time of year, and uh, and pray together and and right. point back to what the Lord has done, of course, for us in Christ. So, I think Hanukkah. Um, and the fact that Jesus celebrated gives us permission to yeah. to have celebrations of our own and traditions that point us to Jesus. Yeah, I think a couple of interesting conversations that maybe we could do in the future at some point uh, that sort of spin off of this uh, would be, for one, we could talk about the Apocrypha. I just read yeah. from First Maccabees. Yeah. So people may be wondering, well, why did you just read from a book that's not Scripture? Well, it's okay to still read books that aren't Scripture. The Belgian Confession uh, says to do it. <laughs> yeah. These are helpful things. It's, it's good to know the history, and Maccabees is a pretty good account of the history. Uh, and so there's no, there's no problem with reading these different apocryphal texts. Uh, I even have one copy of the Bible that has the Apocrypha, and sometimes I'll read it just mm -hmm. for enjoyment, uh, just to see what was going on. Uh, another conversation which you've alluded to here is that this could lead to a discussion on the church calendar. It is interesting that Jesus, it seems, appears to be following the church, the Jewish calendar, uh, and the the book of Acts records the apostles doing the same. They commonly will mark time uh, that the different apostles were in such and such a place for whichever festival of the Jewish year. And so I think all of that is quite fascinating. And mm -hmm. we, maybe we could lead into more discussion. The Reformed churches, as you note, Mark, have often had disagreements uh, on this. But I, I think it's in good wisdom to to practice these things, provided we do so in a way that is God-honoring and centered on the gospel yeah. uh, and not getting distracted by the different features of this, the holidays that can very seriously distract us. Yeah, the, I mean, the ultimate example of that would be Mardi Gras, of course, where I heard a pastor recently saying the Puritans were reacting against um, what was basically a Mardi Gras appro approach to the Christmas season, where uh, people were going all out. The poor were getting poorer, um, feeling all this pressure to invest in throwing lavish parties that they couldn't afford. Um, we could think of, of Mardi Gras also as uh, just being a, a sin-filled, alcohol-driven mess. Um, I've, I've been to New mm. Orleans and talked mm -hmm. with people who live in New Orleans, and they are be some believers there say, we have to leave when Mardi Gras comes because it's just so bad. You cannot mm. be here um, because there's just so much um, foolishness and sin that's happening in the city at the time. And so that's mm. one obvious extreme that we would want to avoid yeah. in our celebration of any sort of... Um, uh, it, Mardi Gras is a supposed... Christian holiday, uh, yeah. Christian religious um, activity. Actually, it's uh, a preparation for Lent, right? It's kind of the original, and it's been so far removed from mm -hmm. uh, from any preparation of Lent that it, it's it's just 
absolutely secularized and people don't even know what yeah. it's for anymore, what Fat Tuesday um, really means. Right. Um, and so that's what the Puritans were reacting against. But uh, can we say that they probably went too far in reacting mm -hmm. against that by um, being the fun police, basically? Yeah. Um, I, I once heard a description of the Puritans that uh, a Puritan is somebody with a sneaking suspicion that somebody somewhere is having a good time, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's... Um, that's not what we want to be either in the Christian Reformed yeah. Church or in any church that you go to. Um, it, it's good to have fun. It's good to be festive. It's good to uh, to hang lights and, and again, probably be more uh, proactive and clear about why we do a lot of the things we do uh, with our children so that they are not as attached to the sentimental side or the romantic side of it as they are to the real meaning of it. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that should stop us from celebrating Lent or Advent or, or other church seasons that help prepare us for, uh, for Christ, uh, for celebrating his death yeah. or, or, or his, um, his birth. So um, I don't think we need to maybe belabor the point any more than that. It's a <laughs> no, shorter so. episode this week, uh, thinking about Hanukkah and the meaning. Um, just as I said, I don't think the Christian has to see it as a competitor to Christmas. Um, <laughs> in fact, it would be good for, for us to, uh, if we see a Hanukkah when we're shopping, uh, or sorry, a, a menorah when we're shopping to explain to our kids, that's something that happened um, before Jesus was born, and that's probably even Jesus in his own family might have lit, a lit a candle like that <laughs> to remember the great miracle that that the Lord provided for his people 160 years before Jesus was born. So um, hopefully that educates you a little bit and, and you can explain it to, uh, to your kids or to the people that you know. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will look forward to being with you again next week. Bye-bye.